Uh, I don't like change. I just am a person who doesn't love change. I like comfortable. Any of those of you uh, there with me? Yeah, yeah, I see a couple of us that like comfort, maybe don't love change. I think even more than that, uh, I find myself to be a pretty nostalgic person. Uh, my wife will testify to this. Sometimes she teases me because I'm, I'm just an old softy about silly stuff sometimes. You know, I'm just nostalgic. I, I, I like things that, that have a history. And, and I tell you all that uh, because a couple weeks ago, we talked to you again about our movement toward changing the name of our church. This is a big deal. It's a huge deal. And I, I understand some of you don't really like that. Some of you don't like that conversation. And here's the reality. I don't necessarily like it either. You understand? I mean, I like our name. I have been, I've told some of you before, I was born into a Berean Bible church. I've kind of been part of a Berean church the vast majority of my life, the exception being when I sojourned in, in Michigan. Uh, and, you know, that was just Michigan. <laughs> so I like it. But I also have become convicted of something, that it's time. Uh, I'm not uh, excited about this because I'm excited about the change, because I don't like the name Berean Bible Church. I'm excited about this because I recognize and have become convicted through prayer, as has our whole leadership team, that the time has come in our culture to do that. There's something that uh, marketers, advertisers, and I know some of you will feel like that's crass conversation to have in a church, but uh, marketers will talk about this term called name alienation. And businesses will sometimes go through and they'll, they'll do studies on name alienation, which is kind of what it sounds like. It's when you have a name that alienates people. They don't get it and they turn away. Uh, I got permission to use the story. Do you know when George and Rella Osborne came here? How many years ago? 40 plus? Which is weird. They must have been five years old. But George tells the story that when they were looking for a church, he immediately crossed this church off of his list. He said, it didn't even make my short list. It just never, it, it was never on my list because I thought, what's that name? That's weird. Next. <laughs> just by happenstance, he happened to be talking to his mom who said, oh, I, I know what that name is. And then he came here one Sunday and he said, you know how many Sundays it took me to stick here? One, right? But without that conversation, he would have never come here. We would have never had George and Rella Osborne. What a tragedy. No, seriously. They have been a strong, faithful part of our church. And, and the reality is that in our society now, more and more, uh, people are less and less likely to have a conversation like that. You know where they look? They look online. They Google churches and they very quickly, this current generation, it said, makes a first impression within seven seconds. Seven seconds. They don't go and talk to somebody about what Berean may or may not mean. They, they, they just, they've made a decision. It's alienating to a great number of people, and that number of people is growing. And I don't like that. I like that even less than I dislike change. Because I love my church. 
I love this body. I love this congregation. I love our ministries. I love the things that we are passionate about, our values, and our world needs those things. And I don't want something as simple as a name to alienate them and prevent them from even walking in the door and trying. Hallelujah. And so that's why we continue to move. So I I ask you to continue to pray about this. I I don't ask you uh, to pretend like it's easy for some of us who have been uh, Bereans for, I don't even want to tell you how long, but it's been decades, you know. I mean, this is kind of hard. And yet it's important. And because of our core values and the reasons that we're doing this, uh, this is why we're moving forward on this. So continue to pray about this. Some of you, I'm so blessed, have said just that, you know, I know I just need to pray about this more. Yeah, we do, don't we? We all do. So continue praying about that. Uh, I want to continue talking about that as we come along. Uh, Again, our core values here at Berean are not changing one iota. We just want to change the name on the door so that more people feel more comfortable coming in and joining our church community. Okay? All right. You got time for a sermon now? What do you think about when you hear the word discipline immediately? Right. That's the word I thought too. For those of you that didn't hear, the word was punishment, right? Discipline was the thing that I received when I was a child and I disobeyed, especially when it was that willful disobedience, right? You know, not just making a mistake, but it was that willful, I knew what was right and I didn't do it or I knew what was wrong and I did do it. And that discipline was there to correct me. But the word has other meanings. While that's the, the, uh, the thing that we think of most, and I'm gonna need your help in the booth. Next slide, please. Uh, there's this meaning too. A discipline is an activity or an experience that provides mental or physical training. You've heard it that way, right? How many of you have been involved in a sport, or music, or a school of study even, uh, learning a language, uh, whatever it may be, where you could apply this word. How many of you? Right? Most of us have done something like that, where we have engaged in a discipline that is a specific uh, line of, of activity that is providing a mental or a physical training for us, because Maybe we want to play a sport because maybe we want to play a musical instrument. We want to speak a new language because we want a job in a certain field. Um, For all of these reasons, we talk about engaging in disciplines. And this morning, we're starting a a new sermon series uh, from here on until our Christmas season on spiritual disciplines. Uh, Because I think if, if a discipline is an activity or experience that provides mental or physical training... A spiritual discipline is something that provides spiritual training. You follow me? And I think those things are important to think about. And while we may not always love the word discipline, and I think a lot of that is because of that association with the, the word punishment, but, but it's not a word maybe that we love all the time, but it's an important word. Anytime that we want to uh, engage in something new or do something better or more strongly, discipline is what's required. And so as believers, we are called by Scripture into a great number of spiritual disciplines, 
and we want to start talking about those today. Next slide. And to do that, we want to talk about this. When you open a systematic theology, um, typically the very first subject is bibliology. All of the, 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 the sort of schools of study end in ology, just like they do, you know, we've got biology and... Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, you know what I thought of next? Chemistry, physics, a bunch of things that didn't <laughs> that didn't have ology in them. You've heard that though, right? <laughs> um, and in in uh, theology, the first subject heading is almost always bibliology, which is the study of the Bible itself. And this is one of our core values here, and always has been since day one that this is foundational to everything we do. Our teaching, our preaching, our instruction for life and faith, it all comes from here. And so it makes sense to know this well, doesn't it? And I think as we engage in the spiritual disciplines, the first one is simply scripture reading. It's simply to read. Now, as we start this, you know, I have a little bit of hesitancy because I recognize what a broken record I sound like. You're always talking about reading the Bible. Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> but it's just that important. It's just that important. And I think we can, uh, you know, in sticking strongly with that word discipline, we can all put a grouchy word on our face and say, you need to read your Bible. Read your Bible. I've said this before when, when some of us were young, and we'd say, why do I have to do that, Mom? Why do I have to do that, Dad? And the answer was, because I said so, right? We could do that. But I think there are actually some pretty compelling reasons, some compelling concepts about Scripture that ought to steer us into this uh, spiritual discipline. Because as it turns out, the Bible is a number of things. We're going to turn to a few different places this morning. You want to turn to 2 Timothy first. Second Timothy, we're going to go to chapter 3. So 2 Timothy, I'll give you a second. It's one of the shorter books, so it's easy to miss and skip over. You got your Thessalonians come right before the Timothys. And you got Titus and Philemon after, so get yourself in the middle there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's an Awana verse. It's a verse we've, a verse we've talked about an awful lot. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And we can stop right there. Of course, the verse doesn't stop right there. But I think part of what is so great about this next slide is that the Scripture is God's words to us. It goes on to say that, that as God's word, this is profitable, it's useful for us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But just that starting point, that it is God's word, I so 
love this imagery that all Scripture is breathed out by God. We need to get that right. We need to get, you know, there, there is some critical thought that says, well, Scripture was just, you know, a, a bunch of old white guys in a room decided what they thought they'd like to see, and that's, no, 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 no. The Bible's very clear. And I know this may seem like somewhat circular logic, you know. Well, the Bible says that the Bible is God's word. Well, yes, it does. But this has been proven throughout the ages in the church over and over. It's been recognized by God's followers that this is God's word. And Scripture's clear. And it says that this is all, nobody wrote this of their own accord. Nobody ever just sat down. Now, there are people who have sat down and decided to write things of their own accord. Guess how many of those things are in our scriptures? None of them. It's important to recognize there are a number of writings throughout the years that the church had to grapple with and say, is this, does this really have the mark of being God's word? And so many times it didn't, which is why it's not in your Bible. So when you see somebody say, oh, there's this lost gospel or this lost book of the Bible. No, it wasn't. Nobody ever lost it. They just looked at it and said, that's not, no, that's not right. The Bible is unique in that it is God's words. God used human authors, human authors, even with their own uh, voices, their own styles. God allowed these authors to use those things. But Scripture is clear that nobody ever just sat down and wrote something of their own accord. They were all carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's why we frequently talk about, you know, we say, Peter wrote this, Paul wrote this, John wrote this. I very frequently say, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit who directed that writing. So these apostles, these prophets, these biblical writers, they did not just write things that sounded good to them. They communicated God's words. We have in the Bible God's very words to us. Hallelujah. That alone makes it worth reading. You can go into virtually any bookstore. You can go to a dollar store and find really cheap versions of the Bible. You can buy them online. You can get them all over the place. Can you just imagine how significant that is? You can waltz into any old store and buy God's words. That God, that creator of the universe, who opened his mouth and spoke this universe into being simply through his power and force. That he has given us his words. That alone makes the reading of the Bible incredibly valuable because nowhere else are we going to so easily and readily get this. And we're told, for instance, that just with things like, like the, the simple existence of God, nobody is, is, is with an excuse. 
to deny the existence of God. We understand that. But to really know God, to really get to understand God, how are we going to do that without reading the words of God? If you wanted to get to know somebody, maybe you're in the process right now of getting to know somebody. Well, what do you do? Well, you, you talk with them, right? And we'll talk about one element of that in a, a couple weeks here. But part of talking with somebody is simply listening to them. As it turns out, it's not always talking, is it? I mean, if you're really having a conversation with someone, you listen. You listen to their words. You find out who they are, what makes them tick. And because the Bible are God's words to us, when we read this, we are literally getting to know God himself through the reading of this. I would like to suggest that as a spiritual discipline, that's important. Don't you think so? So, the Bible is God's words to us. Next slide. If you want to turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. This is uh, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus Christ on entering public ministry immediately went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. He took him and, and, and tempted him with a number of things. Tried to dissuade him from his path, you know. And Jesus undergoes this temptation. Scripture tells us there's no temptation that has tempted us that Jesus Christ himself didn't undergo at some point. But right at the beginning of his ministry, Satan really challenges him, you know. And in this context, chapter 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Forty days and forty nights. Anybody ever fasted for forty days? I can promise you I have not. Hmm. Forty days. There is uh, perhaps some miracle that's happening here. Nonetheless, one of the things that we understand from Scripture is that Jesus was 100% human. I mean, he took on our humanity. He didn't pretend to be a human. He became human flesh, just like us. Which means that after 40 days, I guarantee you, he was hungry. You know that term, hangry? I mean, I can get hangry after a few hours of not eating. Uh, what's beyond hangry? I mean... What, what, what do you get to after that? Well, part of what you get is weakness and delirium even. And, and so when Satan comes, he says, listen, you're the son of God. Why don't you just make these stones into bread? Wouldn't that be good? And wouldn't that have been good? And yet Jesus recognizes, no, that, that wouldn't be good. Why? We're not told maybe explicitly why. 
But Satan comes to Jesus in this state of weak delirium, and he says, boy, food would be good, wouldn't it? And look at Jesus' answer. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible is spiritual food. And when I say that Jesus fasting 40 days and 40 nights, that perhaps there was something miraculous going on, I think part of what was going on is Jesus is expressing, I am being fed. I'm being fed by the very word of the Father. I'm not that hungry, you know. Man doesn't just live by bread, by physical food alone. The Bible is literally spiritual food. And if it's important to talk about physical disciplines and mental disciplines, then how much more important is it to talk about these spiritual disciplines? And one of the core elements of that is we simply need to be fed. We need food. Some of us are spiritually starving to death. Right? Well, guess what? We need food. And in an era of our culture where it seems like so many people are so desperately spiritually hungry, I'm here to tell you this is food. Because it's God's words. And it's food for the soul. It is food for the spirit. It is health and vitality and welfare for your and my spiritual being. And so, we need to be fed. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. That word active there is perhaps not my favorite word, English word, to translate what is in the Greek behind it. Some of your translations use the word powerful. I really like that one. I mean, it's a little more vigorous than just active, you know. But we talk about this, the word being living and active. I don't know how many of you have had the experience of, of having a favorite piece of music or a favorite uh, television show, whatever, you know, something that you've seen or heard multiple times, and yet uh, you'll hear it sometime and say, oh, I, didn't, I hadn't noticed that before. I didn't catch that little detail before that little musical flourish or that that instrument comes in right there or that that coffee mug that's on so-and-so's desk is the same mug that showed up. You know, just these little things, right? How much more is God's Word uh, as something that is alive? How much more have we read the same thing that we've read a hundred times before and yet today it breathes fresh life into us? Because God's word, the Bible, is 
powerful. It is filled with power. Again, Hebrew says it's living, it's powerful, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Bible has for us power. We, uh, again, there's so many things about our culture, but we increasingly live in this culture in which more and more people are really afraid that we don't have any power. Somebody else, we're not even really sure who, but somebody else holds power and it makes us afraid, you know? Well, the Bible, God's word, is power for us. It is spiritual power. You want to be energized? You want to be emboldened, equipped? This is the way. The Bible is power for us. It's alive. It's active. It is not something that is just static on a page. It is working. It does work in me. It does work in you. This power that is ours just for the taking by engaging with God's words. And so it's powerful. It's good for our spiritual welfare, our discipline. Turn back to Psalm. We read scripture from Psalm 19. Now turn to Psalm 119. Kind of right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 119, one of the the most well-known passages, uh, at least certain portions of it are. It's incredibly long. Some people don't really realize how how long Psalm 119 is. If you're engaging in one of those uh, Bible reading plans where you've made it your goal to read, you know, X number of chapters per day, when you hit Psalm 119, you think, whoa, time out. That's like six chapters, you know? I mean, it's really long. It's also really brilliant. Uh, what we maybe miss, and, and you've got little subject headings there, but each section starts with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Olive, bet, a gimel. Um, that's what those headings are. And every line of that Hebrew poetry starts with that Hebrew letter. It's a really ingenious piece of Hebrew poetry, a lot of which we sort of miss out on when we read it in English because, you know, we don't see that. But I want you to know it's pretty great. It's an ingenious piece of poetry. But Psalm 119 also has a lot to say about God's word, about God's law, about the reasons that we study it. And look at verse 105. You know this verse, so many of you. If you don't know this verse, then I'm especially glad that you're here because it's a great verse. Get ready for this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Hmm. This word, your word, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Next slide. Thank you. The Bible is guidance. Again, you ever felt just lost? You ever been 
I've, I've said before, Pastor Jonathan makes fun of me. Pastor Jonathan, a lot of you don't know, is mean. He's just, he's mean. <laughs> but he makes fun of me for kind of enjoying, you know, uh, a dark climate, a dimmer climate at times, you know. But that's just when I'm, you know, sitting, uh, maybe studying, trying to be quiet. But as soon as I'm up and moving around, as soon as, uh, heaven forbid, I'm looking for something, I certainly don't want it dark, right? If I was lost out in the woods, I think we've maybe talked about this before. I don't know how many of you have ever been in the woods in the middle of the night and had the guts to just go ahead and turn off your flashlight for a little while, turn it all off and just stand there. It's kind of spooky. It's sort of unnerving. If I had to find my way around in the dark, that I wouldn't like. I'd be looking for a light. That causes immediately fear. It, it causes uh, uncertainty. And we have in our society, again, so much fear and uncertainty, and it's because people don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They don't feel like they have a direction. And we're lost, which is unfortunate because this, God's Word, this Bible, is a light to our path. A lamp to our feet. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules because I know that this is a guide, the psalmist says. It's like a flashlight in the dark where maybe I, I, I can just feel darkness pressing in but then I switch on this light. Oh, there we go. There's the trail. Now I know where to go. Now I see where I am, you know. The Bible is guidance. And in a world where we feel so often like we need guidance, well, as it turns out, we have it in this, in God's Word. One more passage. Back in the Gospels, if you want to turn to John. John chapter 17. The context of this is immediately on the heels of the Lord's Supper. Communion, we often practice it together here, together as a church. But after that original first Lord's Supper, when Jesus met together with his disciples in the upper room, and this is, of course, on the night that he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten, ridiculed, mocked, and ultimately executed as a criminal. And he knows all this. He knows what he's headed to. But in this context, he prays. He offers a prayer, and the setting seems to be even as they're walking through dark, quiet streets of Jerusalem, between that place where they had rented the upper room, going up to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying. And part of what he prays for is his disciples, his followers. And in John chapter 17, verse 16, he says this, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Then verse 17 says this, 
Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. That word sanctify is, is to take something and, and make it holy, to kind of make it special for a special purpose. Um, maybe you've got fancy china in your house that you use for certain occasions or um, you know something that is special that you just get out for a very special purpose. It's not something that, that you just play with and you kick around like a soccer ball. You know, you kind of treat it specially. That's what sanctify means. And so Jesus prays for his disciples that they would be sanctified, that they'd be prepared, that they'd be made holy for special work. But look at what he says. Sanctify them in the truth. And then adds to that, oh yeah, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Next slide, please. If you're wondering why we're asking for this, it's because our remote control has broken. Uh, and so we're looking for a new one. Don't worry. But thank you so much for your help back there. The Bible is life-changing. It is equipping. It is, and we've looked at this already with the fact that it's powerful. But it is literally a life-changing source. It's God's Word. And as Jesus prays, sanctify my disciples, sanctify my, my followers through your truth. They need to be made holy. They need to be equipped. They, they need to be um, empowered to do these things in my absence that I'm going to ask them to do in my name. Sanctify them by your truth. Then again, oh yeah, your word is truth. Jesus is literally praying here that his disciples, his followers, would be steeped in the word of God and thus steeped in truth and thus sanctified. And I don't mean his disciples like those 12 guys that happened to be following him right then. I mean all of his followers, including us right here. His prayer is that we would be sanctified by God's truth, which is found in his word. And so rather than just wagging a finger, saying, read your Bible more, do it more. I've often done that, maybe not with a finger wagging, but I mean, is there ever enough Bible reading I don't know. I mean, I think no matter how much you read your Bible, I, I would always suggest if you read it a little bit more, it'll be good for you. But that's the key. Rather than just saying, do it more out of some sense of legalism, what I want to remind us this morning is that this is important for us. This is a critical part of our spiritual maturity, of our spiritual discipline. Our overall spiritual health has everything to do with God's word. And I can guarantee you this, that the, the state of your health, you know, when you go to the, the doctor for an annual exam and you sort of get kind of a snapshot, well, here's what your health looks like right now. You get the state of your health that is dependent on so many things. Well, the state of our health is in very, very large part pegged directly to the state of our intake of the Bible. That's it. 
That's it. It'll be the first thing that I would ask if you came to me and said, Pastor Paul, I just, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm flagging, you know? I feel like my spiritual life is just weak. You know what? This may prevent some of you from coming to talk to me, but you know what one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is? How much are you in the Word? Because as it turns out, that fuels your spiritual health. Why? Because it's God's very words. Because it's sustenance, it's spiritual food. Because it, it has power. It's not just this static thing, it is actually powerful in us and for us. Because it offers guidance, direction, discernment. And because it is literally life-changing, it is a sanctifying book. And I, I hesitate at times you know, to use this term book because it seems so pedestrian for what this is. Because I promise you, most books, well, no other books, are all of that. There's not one. There are a lot of good books, but none of them is like the book. Hallelujah. And so as we begin this conversation about the spiritual disciplines, and listen, you can get a sense of where we're going to go in future weeks. If you go home and open up your computer, you could probably even do it now on your smartphone, but don't, please don't get out your smartphone right now. <laughs> But just, you know, Google the spiritual disciplines. You'll get a list of them. They don't all agree 100%, but most of them are pretty. So you're going to be able to tell where we're going, right? But as we talk about the spiritual disciplines, we have to start here. We have to start with this. It's why as a church, we start with this. That this is our foundation for everything we do here for our ministries, for our activities, for the, I'm not, I'm not gonna come in here and just tell you what I think on a Sunday. I wanna come in here and preach God's word on a Sunday, yeah? Our teachers in our Sunday school, for, from the little kids all the way up to the oldest adults. I won't point out who that is, but it's all founded on this there's nowhere else where we want to put our roots down. This is the source of our direction, of our power, of our sanctification, of our service. This is it, and we have to start here. And so what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me? Well, how much of this do you have in your life? I mean, what does your spiritual welfare look like, your spiritual health, your spiritual maturity. And just like I might ask you one-on-one -on -one if you came and talked to me, I'll ask all of us, and I truly mean us, this is something I need to return to and be reminded of frequently. I've shared with some of you that, that my personal Bible reading 
maybe became hardest for me when I went into full-time ministry, which sounds insane because you're in the Bible all the time, right? Yeah, right. I'm often in it because I'm preparing for this sermon and the next couple sermons and this class and that Bible study. And so sure, I'm in it. It's a little bit different than just sitting down to eat. You understand? We all need to be challenged and reminded. If you have a zero Bible reading plan, that's okay. That's okay. I'm not here to try and kick you and beat up on you. If you don't have a consistent Bible reading plan, and I will say this again, if the only Bible that you get is just here on Sundays, that's not enough. I I mean, it is foundational to everything that we do, but you need more than just this single dose. It'd be like having one meal a week for your physical body. It's not going to work well, you know. You need more. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, start one. But you can make it very simple. If you have no Bible reading plan and you make it your goal to read through the entire Bible in a week, that's going to be really tough. You're probably going to fail. Start simpler than that. Maybe start in a book like the Gospel of John and say, I'm just going to read a chapter a day. I'm going to find some time in my day. I'm going to sit down in the morning, or maybe if it works, maybe it works better for you on your lunch break, or you know, whatever. I'm going to sit down and read one chapter. If that's too hard, start with maybe five verses. I don't care, but start. You don't have to make it hard. You don't have to make it complicated. And I think something that you're going to find is as you feed into your spiritual life, God's word, and you start to see that benefit, you're going to start to crave it more. Like, like uh, uh, as scripture says elsewhere, an infant craves milk. You're going to, you won't be able to get enough of it. But just start a little bit. And if you do have a consistent Bible reading plan, whatever it is, bully for you. I applaud you. Keep it up. Because I promise you, Satan wants nothing more than to make you spiritually anemic. It'll just take a little bit here or there to derail you and to say, well, maybe it's just, I'm really tired today. And next thing you know, it will have been three months before you've had a good meal. You need a plan, though. I think we can all just say we should read God's Word a whole bunch. But most of us need some sort of a concrete plan. So make a plan. Maybe it's John. Maybe it's Psalms. Maybe you do want to engage in one of those read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plans. Again, they're a dime a dozen. You can easily just Google it. You'll find it like that. And maybe you start after the first couple days and you think, boy, for somebody who didn't really have a plan to read the Bible before, this seems like a lot. Okay, read through the Bible in three years maybe. I mean, but start. Give yourself a plan and say, I am going to make a priority my spiritual welfare, my spiritual health, and I am going to engage in this spiritual discipline 
without which I can't be spiritually healthy. Start somewhere if you haven't started. If you started and then quit, pick it back up. If you are uh, reading and you're finding yourself in a rut, maybe you need to read something uh, different, a different portion of your Bible. Maybe you need to read a little more. Maybe you need to ramp it up. But you and I need, this, this is the thing. This is the, the, the issue with all of this. This isn't just stuff that we all want. This is stuff we all need. You and I need God's Word. And so I encourage you, keep at it. Keep at it. It's such a pastory thing to say. Read your Bible. But there's a reason pastors, church leaders, the Bible itself, there's a reason we've all been saying this for literally centuries. It's because it's that critical. Yeah. And so as we endeavor to talk about the spiritual disciplines, we start here. How much food are you eating? How much sustenance are you getting? Could you use a bit more? And I promise you the answer to that question is almost always, yeah, I could probably use a bit more. Our Father God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the fact that it's your word. God, how incredibly blessed we are You haven't veiled yourself in in mystery hidden from us. Instead, you've revealed yourself to us. You have spoken to us through your word. Given this to prophets and apostles and authors who throughout the centuries, moved by the Holy Spirit, have put down on the page your words to us. And God, help us to make that a priority. Help us as your followers to eat from this rich source of food. God, I in particular lift up those among us that this may have been a real struggle for. Maybe they don't really have any Bible reading plan right now. That you would just be an encouragement to them. Help them. Spur them on as they start with just a little bit, that you give them that day-by-day confirmation of how incredibly important this is to their spiritual health, that they'll be excited about it, that they'll be emboldened to do it more. Father, we thank you for this. and We thank you for the conviction it is in our lives. And we pray that we would be convicted simply to read your word more and more to crave it, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.